Explore presents a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a devil or two to boot by Alec and Jan Foreman. Chapter 34 to Pushka Fair, 22nd to the 26th of November 1977, India. We had heard that it was worth taking a trip west to the region of Rajasthan for a rich cultural experience. Happily, we were not disappointed as we explored the region along with Jean Luc and Martin. Our initial drive out of Delhi took us through pleasant countryside with its rolling plains of sandy soil supporting small-leafed shrubs, cacti and trees. Old forts stood at strategic locations on outlying hills. The men worked on the land with their ploughs pulled by sturdy camels as the women cut and gathered tufts of dry grass. This they carried in baskets on their heads to their palm-thatched rectangular houses. Amber was our first enchanting port of call. Love the name. As we arrived, there was a golden glow upon the historic city as the sun shone warmly on the soft yellow-toned buildings. Long-tailed monkeys ran along the lofty ledges. The palace, positioned high on a hill, overlooked the lake. We parked the vehicles and walked the steady climb along the sloped road to the palace, passing alongside powerful elephants robed in exotic, colourful, gold-tasseled cloth which accentuated their painted, patterned ears, faces and trunks. Paying tourists rode up high, experiencing the bygone age of the Raj. Amber Palace was very grand. The Hall of Public Audience, built of pink stone with white trim, had many supporting pillars decorated with Hindu symbols of elephants and lotus flowers. The doorway into the harem was adorned with natural vegetable-dyed frescoes of floral design. Only the king, his wives, concubines, children and eunuch guards were allowed in the harem. What a stud the king must have been. In the royal living quarters, the ceilings and walls were elaborately embellished with mirror work, miniature stained glass windows and floral decorated marble. Jaipur was our next destination that day. A coral pink city with white painted accents designed by Maharaja Jai Singh. It was the 250th anniversary of the architect's accomplishment and the city was in a flurry of festivity. There were few cars on the streets but many trishaws, rickshaws, holy cows and people. The conglomeration of road users required the presence of a traffic policeman at the crossroads. A smart chap dressed in a pristine white uniform topped with a white British Bobby style helmet. Initially, we went to the tourist office to gather information about the celebrations, 
and enjoyed a complimentary cup of tea. Jaipur Inn was the place for overlanders to go and park, which we did before finding food. I was famished. We all bundled into Jean-Luc's Land Rover and went back into town to eat chapatis, potato puffs, vegetables and sauce, washed down with hot sweet tea. Our meal was delicious and very cheap. Next to savour the richness of the city bazaar. Ambling along, our eyes feasted on all the fabulous goods for sale. There were gorgeous, vibrant coloured fabrics with tiny mirrors sewn on, silver jewellery, brass and copperware, and small wooden elephants decorated all over with mirrors. Two women sat on the ground with tired, broken-spoke umbrellas set open behind them, offering little shade against the sun's hot rays. In front of the ladies were large enamel bowls piled high with vivid orange marigold flowers, which they strung into garlands. The strong aroma of the flowers made me sneeze. In amongst all the razzmatazz, I spied a local dentist with a selection of dentures and dental tools displayed on a cloth on the ground. I was glad I didn't require his services. No doubt he was a dab hand at extractions and probably put on quite the show for all to see. Exploring further in the city, we heard an amateur band playing tuneless tunes as hundreds of pigeons took flight off the rooftops. A group of women walked along wearing their finest clothes and jewellery. One wore a gold-threaded cloak, a bride on her way to matrimony. The day drew to a close as we returned to the campsite, relaxed and satisfied. The following day, we set off to further explore Jaipur. First we walked to the palace, avoiding the rats scampering along the open drains. The exterior of the building was a romantic coral hue with white painted flowers. Marble elephant statues stood on guard at the main palace gateway. Chandeliers hung in one courtyard, whilst in another were two giant silver urns, once used to store holy water from the river Ganges. The urns of holy drinking water accompanied Maharaja Sawai Madho Singh II when he travelled to England for the coronation of King Edward VII in 1902. The ornate doors were inset with colourful peacock designs. A fine collection of miniature paintings was a delight to see in the art gallery. There was also a costume exhibition, plus arms and weaponry on display, including some gruesome knives. Only one interior room was open to the public, exhibiting red velvet cushioned gold-painted chairs standing beside a silver inlaid table presenting an ornate hubble-bubble pipe. At lunchtime, we ate vegetable samosas with curry sauce and drank tea served at the cafe in one of the palace courtyards, where musicians and jugglers used to entertain the Maharaja and courtesans. A holy guru stood there with an unusual cow. She had two extra legs growing from her withers and was highly revered, wearing a pink decorative cloak draped across her back. After lunch, we went along the lively streets of Jaipur, 
taking photos of the dramatic colourful scenes around us. We stood for a while to admire the famous Hawa Mahal, the Palace of the Winds, an imaginative coral pink structure with an unusual facade of decorative screens built in, behind which the royal ladies would view the street goings-on without being seen by the commoners. There was much to see in this region, so we took a short drive along a country lane to Golta. It led us into a pretty gorge where a group of sacred buildings were situated along the road. We parked and walked on the pathway going up the hill towards the Sun Temple. Shrieking peacocks strutted along showing off their plush plumage. We were wary of a gang of monkeys that made sudden darting movements and were often too close for comfort. They were renowned for grabbing tourist cameras, as for some reason they objected to having their photo taken, which was quite bizarre. But they too were regarded as holy, and they definitely ruled the roost in their own temple territory. Wizened old gurus with long white matted hair and beards, each wearing a simple white muslin sarong, carried their only possession a brass bowl as they roamed about the edifice. On our return to Jaipur, we stopped for a cup of tea at a roadside stall. We were served the original chai latte, made with tea leaves, root ginger, crushed cardamoms, sugar, milk and water, all boiled together in a saucepan. There we sat on wooden benches at a simple rustic table with a well-worn faded blue and white checked plastic tablecloth. Flies flitted to and fro, supping at drops of sticky sweet tea spilt on the cloth. Our day was topped off in flamboyant fashion. For just sixpence each, we attended the 250th anniversary celebration of the city of Jaipur, held in the magnificent Mughal Gardens, complete with gushing waterfalls. Dancers in gorgeous, colourful, sequined costumes told the story of the city in an hour-long theatrical performance with dramatic light and sound effects. In the morning, we awoke an hour later than planned, but still took time to enjoy breakfast and to read our Bible. Verse by verse, Chapter by chapter, we were gaining further understanding of God's truth through his extraordinary love letter, written to mankind to draw people back to himself through Jesus Christ. We were surrounded by Hindus, sincere in their beliefs, which includes Jesus as one of their hundreds of gods. But we discovered that they were haunted by their karma. They needed to perform many acts to placate their gods and rise to the next level towards nirvana through reincarnation. People whose lives were downtrodden, forced to live in the street gutters, begging and scavenging to survive, were considered to be receiving their just desserts from their former misspent lives. We had much to process in our minds as we travelled amongst the variety of cultures and beliefs briefly seeing through the windows of people's daily lives. Contemplation set aside, we got back to the nitty-gritty of travel. 
We called at the petrol pump for a fill-up and bought the most expensive fuel so far on our journey. The road from Jaipur to Ajmer was initially through flat countryside with occasional hills. Then it ran alongside treeless marshlands with long lush green grass that swayed in the breeze. We stopped at Dudu for tea and delicious cream horn pastries and were delighted to sit on comfortable bamboo-woven armchairs with strung webbed seats. A bicycle tyre was slotted over the string-bound circular base rim of each chair to give it durability as the chair stood on the rough earth floor of the outdoor cafe. Driving on through the bustling town of Ajmer, around the outskirts of the lake beyond, we knew for sure we were travelling in the right direction. Thousands of pilgrims were making their way to Pushka for the annual religious festival and camel fair. Many walked, others rode their camels, while still more travelled by public transport and in private cars. The pilgrims carried very little, some with just a blanket balanced on their heads. The road climbed up over a steep rise and then a smaller one until we reached Pushka, a town built beside a holy lake. Soldiers were directing the traffic and we asked the location of the tourist bungalow. We were to drive towards the lake but the streets were throbbing with hundreds of pilgrims, shoulder to shoulder, men, women and children all heading that way. If our Land Rover had been made of cardboard, it would have been unwittingly carried along by the crush of humanity. A sea of people before us, yet no other vehicles. Alec gingerly drove along at a snail's pace, whilst I sounded the Swiss cow horn we carried in the Land Rover. But to no avail. This was their town, their festival and their right of way. We were the outsiders. We were no longer the centre of attention. Stop! Alex, stop! I shouted. A woman carrying a baby had fallen forward in front of the left wing of the Land Rover as her flowing robes had caught under the wheel and pulled her down. At that same moment, Alex slammed on the brakes and stopped the vehicle. I jumped out and went to the woman's aid, but she had already been assisted to her feet. She and the baby were unharmed, just a little shocked at the sudden tumble. They did not stand around to lodge a complaint, but were swept forward in the surge of the crowd. Back in the Land Rover, I breathed a sigh of relief, knowing how fortunate we were. Had a death or serious injury occurred, we might have seen a different side to the jubilant crowd. People in intense mobs can become volatile when there has been a negative action against one of their members, even if they do not personally know the individual. Alec reminded me of when he served in Hong Kong with the army. They were warned that if involved in an accident whilst out driving, they should keep going and head for the nearest police station to report the accident. To get out of your car at the accident scene could end in a lynching if a local person had been run over and killed. Alec drove even more slowly as I persistently blew the horn, trying to alert the noisy crowd to allow us through. Eventually we arrived at the attractive tourist bungalow and parked on the grass bank between the wall of the bungalow and the holy lake. 
We backed up against the wall, but soon realised the area was being used as a public toilet. So Alec turned the Land Rover around. Our opening back door then faced the lake, a much more agreeable view. We then ate a curious lunch. With no bread available, I decided we'd have a second breakfast of shredded wheat with sliced bananas and milk. As an added extra, we dipped into our survival ration packs. When Alec was in the Antarctic, the cook told the men at Adelaide Island to go through the box of vacuum-sealed, high-calorific foods that were leftovers from the scientific expeditions. A great acquisition to use in camping trips back home, so Alec took his share with our trip in mind. Now, here we were in the midst of an Indian festival, surrounded by a hubbub of pilgrims, savouring ten-year-old Antarctic treats. Processed cheese, toffees and chocolate. Lunch over, we were eager to venture out into the mass of people. Being on foot was far less stressful, as we observed the fascinating gathering of Rajasthani people whom we walked alongside. Women admired and bought fabrics, necklaces and bracelets. Men looked on various leather goods on sale, sandals, cow's collars with bells on and camel saddles. They stopped for a drink or a dish of food prepared by the wayside tradesmen and women. Sugarcane, or a drink made from the same, was particularly popular. There were many lepers crouched on the floor with deformed hands and feet. They wistfully stared up at the passers-by, holding their old rusty tin cans between their fingerless, scarred hands, which had weeping sores. Holy gurus were at the festival in great numbers, with their long Rastafarian hairstyles, white-painted faces and minimal clothing, one just in a G-string. Not always elderly, there were men of varying ages who had been called to that religious way of life, dependent on the generosity of others to meet their daily needs. The sea of people naturally moved out of the town to the surrounding sand dunes and the crowds dispersed to their chosen camp location which could be a particularly comfortable dune or a welcome isolated tree that gave shade and a little coolness in the heat of the day. The children ran freely here and there, enjoying the holiday mood. Campfires burned, heating large cauldrons to boil water for cooking rice. Hundreds of fine camels and holy cows were ambling or hobbled on the dunes. Men were in lively discussion, trading and making a profit as their animals exchanged ownership. The Rajasthani people were dashingly dressed. The men wore plain turbans in vivid red, yellow or orange. Their clothing consisted of a white shirt or a white vest and jacket. The majority wore skirts fashioned from a fine white cloth folded to be a skirt come trousers. Some of the men wore jewellery, earrings and chokers. The women were robed with variations of style and colour according to their ethnic group. All wore full cotton skirts from waist to ankles with differently designed blouses, often revealing a bare midriff. Each lady had a cloth veil from head to ankle 
with one corner tucked into her skirt. The vibrant red, yellow and orange outfits were embroidered with silks and embellished with tiny mirrors and shimmering gold decorative trims. The ladies wore silver jewellery on their heads and their long black hair was braided into thick plaits. Some had a solid silver choker around their necks. Many were wearing earrings and bracelets and one particular group had multiple bracelets reaching from their wrists to the top of their arms. We walked towards the marquees of the county fair and the agricultural exhibition where competition winners of the finest cattle, sheep and chickens were on show with their proud owners. We went past the refreshment tents to the fun fair. There were target shooting stalls, pick a lucky number, the well of death, a display of daredevil motorcyclists riding round a vertical circular wooden wall, plus cheroplanes and even a small hand-operated wooden ferris wheel. This had four large boxes with slatted seats upon which sat laughing ladies, enjoying the novelty of rising high into the air as the wheel was turned. Back at the Land Rover, we found it bedecked in clothing from the pilgrims, who were using it as a clothes horse to dry their wet garments. Each pilgrim had immersed himself or herself in the murky sacred waters. Even city gentlemen arrived in their suits and leather shoes. They undressed to their underwear, then walked along the slippery, muddy beach to take their turn amongst the hundreds of pilgrims and dipped themselves into the holy waters. It was an auspicious night, with a full moon that lit the spectacle of men and women participating in the religious sacred ritual. The women's voices rang out in song, as they celebrated together. We had a sleepless night, surrounded by the constant movement and voices of the pilgrims. It was not surprising the next day to hear that Martine was feeling unwell after such a restless night, so she and Jean-Luc drove off back to Ajmere Lake. Whilst Alec and I looked forward to seeing the arena events scheduled for later that day, the streets were even more congested with gregarious, festive people. Some of the men carried swords and axes, and we were particularly wary of them, especially at crossroads, where there was a lot of shoving and barging, much to the men's pleasure. A few women and children were toppled over into the gutter by the gung-ho movement of the men. We reached the main grandstand of the arena, where other foreigners and the press were welcomed. After a long two-hour wait, the events began, with camel races, a police horse display, tent pegging, a donkey race, and a fun woman's tug-of-war between the Indians and expatriates. Mid-afternoon we left Pushka, carefully driving against the flow of pilgrims as we negotiated our way out of town. We drove back to Ajmere to reunite with our friends and were glad to see that Martine was feeling much better. Total distance driven, 29,206 miles.
You've been listening to a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a Devil or Two to Boot by Alec and Jan Foreman, presented by Explore More. Explore More is an adventure lifestyle brand founded on the 1977 travel stories of Alec and Jan Foreman, with a passion to inspire people to explore more of the world, engage with others and embrace global cultures, to ensure a greater understanding for each other and enable positive progression. Discover great products and more on exploremore.com. That's E-X-P-L-M-O-R-E dot com.